It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Well, guys, why don't we start out with prayer and just ask that uh, the Holy Spirit would lead us in our time. Father, uh, we come before your throne of grace, uh, praising you for the gift of Jesus and for the amazing clothing of righteousness that we've been given because of the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, that we have the ability to boldly enter your throne room of grace. And I pray that we would learn not just to approach this throne and uh, acquaint ourselves with it periodically, but and not just often, but always. Lord, that we would live in your presence, that we would learn to abide in that vine and bear fruit. Lord, teach us uh, the way of Christ more clearly, more defined, more sharply, that we would understand better how to serve you and to glorify you, to know you, and that you would bring us into a deeper place of intimacy, even this morning. Lord, we love you and submit to you with grand expectations. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. All right. Well, on Fridays, we are going through a series called the Gospel Toolkit. I even have a subtitle for my series, which is pretty fun. It's 35 Essentials to Getting Off to a Right Start in the Kingdom of Heaven. So the reason I'm going through these series is to sort of uh, take and package some things that we have worked on for years here at Ellerslie. For instance, this particular series was developed about three years ago. It's just a guess. I asked Nathan the other day, and he uh, just sort of shrugged his shoulders. He doesn't know when it was either. But it was about three years ago where we had some practicum students uh, here for, oh, about six months. And we wanted to train them in discipleship or very specifically sharing the gospel. And there's different ways that you can share evangelism and, and teach people that, but we were wanting to show them not just necessarily what you teach or, or give when you're on a street corner, but the process that a soul goes through when it goes from death unto life or from darkness unto light. And so we broke that into 35, you could say things, we call them locations, and there's a reason for that, but uh, tools, they're, they're exercises of the soul that are essential in the process of healthy growth. And so it's sort of like if I were to say, so what's a good morning routine? Well, you need to open your eyes. You need to uh, you know, move those feet and agree that you're getting up and stick them on the ground. You need to start walking. You need to walk into that bathroom and, uh, you, well, maybe I shouldn't go into any detail there. And uh, you need to brush your teeth. You need to, there's various things, right? that are all part of the morning routine. Similar, when you go from death unto life, there is a process that you're going through, and a lot of us skip different things, not because we're purposely doing it, but we were never taught. No one ever took us by the hand and walked us into this newness of life, so we oftentimes have these patches where the Spirit of God has never cultivated certain behaviors or exercises in our soul. And so I'm doing this for two reasons. One is a new believer could take this and have a a very grounded understanding of what is taking place in their soul and how the Holy Spirit is desiring to bring them forward. 
The other thing it does is it's a gift to those of us that have been around the block and been in Christianity for a while to more effectively deliver the gospel to a soul. Okay, so see these 35 tools. The last one, which was last Friday, which is the very first one I gave, was seeing your need. And I'll do a quick review on that, but you'll notice that this one's called See Your Savior. So Mark 2.17, this is a scripture I read last Friday. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what Jesus is saying is those that are healthy do not need a physician. They have no perceived need of a doctor. So if if you're, why would you go to a doctor if you were healthy, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. It's like, I came for those that know they're sick. And so Technically, if you look at this world, everyone is sick and dying from the disease that he came to rescue us from, which is sin. But there were people when he came that didn't recognize that they were sinners. So as a result, they didn't call on Jesus. They didn't turn to Jesus. So this idea of needing to know that you're actually sick, which is what the law is. The law is the thing that God gave to us to reveal to us our sickness, to reveal to us our need. And so last week was called See Your Need. There's two kinds of lost people. Those that are blind to sin and those that are awakened to sin. And so when you are blind to sin, you are in a very dangerous place because you have no sense of need. And we used the illustration last week. It's a Ray Comfort illustration of being in a plane and someone comes to you with a parachute and says, hey, do you want to put on this very bulky, uncomfortable parachute? And, you know, I even used the illustration of a World War I parachute, which was far worse. You know, we have these cool-looking parachutes now that you could actually look, you know, pretty nice in. However, back in World War I, they were the ugliest things you've ever seen. And they actually had this huge pack, and it was behind your rear end, too. So could you imagine someone coming up to you on the plane, you're sipping your coffee. They're like, yeah, do you want to put this on? And like, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I am not about to be an idiot and wear that while I'm on the plane. And yet, so that's what a lot of us run into. You see, that person doesn't see any need for a parachute. I mean, I'm in a plane, sipping my coffee, totally fine. However, if you have a different approach, which is what we could call giving them the law, and you say, by the way, uh, this plane is about to crash into a mountain. And uh, so in just a few minutes, we're going to open up the doors to the plane, and anyone that has a parachute will survive. Uh, but uh, it's your choice. Now, do you want this parachute? See, it's a completely different framework of thought than, well, that would be uncomfortable. No, that would save me. See, the difference is when he started, they're blind to their need. They don't see that a mountain is up ahead. They don't recognize certain destruction. And so as a result, they decline this wonderful gift of a World War I parachute. However, when you see your need, suddenly the World War I parachute, no matter how awkward it is, is of tremendous value and you cling to it. So... The awakened to sin, there are people all over this earth that are actually stirred and know that they are off. They know that they're wrong. They know that their life is miserable. And yet they do not understand their Savior yet. And so the fact that they see a need doesn't necessarily mean that they see Jesus. So the two stages of spirit revelation, we'll call it the convincing of law. Every single one of us needs to be convinced of our sin. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. But then once we are convinced of our, of our sin, do you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't need to continue to press the issue of sin as much as he begins to switch to the issue of mercy and grace and love? You see, once you understand the law 
and you understand your sin, now the gospel makes sense. Now a physician can step in and say, oh, I heard that you called for a physician. You see, a physician only makes sense when you know your sickness. And so the invitation of grace is for those that are humble. You know how it says he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So those that are broken and humbled before the law and say, God, I have sinned, now are ready to receive grace. And so when you are dealing with the gospel out in this dark and dying world, for those that are proud, you have an instrument for them. It's called the law. And you can teach them about their sin. However, for those that are already broken over their sin, you don't need to clonk them over the head with law. What you need to give them is hope. You need to give them grace. So this is a fascinating statement. I've, I've said it a couple times already, but just ponder this. A man can be awakened to his need. He could, this man can say, I'm sick. I need a physician. Or I'm on a plane that's about to crash. I need a parachute. That does not mean he understands specifically what his rescue is in Jesus Christ. So a man can be awakened to his need but still not be introduced to his uh, uh, savior. I'm guessing somehow that's got cut off, but I'm, I'm guessing it's a very, very cool word there. The amazing work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> As a minister of the gospel, I can't awaken you. I can't show you your need. Now, there are certain things God will use me to do, but it's actually, in Scripture, very clear that it's God that awakens the soul. It's God that stirs people, which is a really helpless feeling when you're going out there and trying to share the gospel, because you can't force them to believe. I mean, you could take their arm, put it behind them, and say, you will believe. It just doesn't work that way. You see, this is something the Spirit of God must do. He must warm someone. He must show them their need, and then they're ready to see their Savior. So in Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Oh, a question for our entire generation right there. Okay, you've heard of this historic Jesus. Who do you say he is? Listen to what happens next. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. Now, if you've been in here for the last few weeks as we've been going through the foundation stones, we've been talking about what the key phrase of the Christ is. I mean, that's the anointed one. That's the equivalent of saying the one, the one they've been waiting for, capital zero, or capital zero, capital O on one. Well, that was, that's an awkward one. It's a number, and I wanted to say zero. <laughs> you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What a statement from Peter. Now, listen closely. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This was not revealed by any earth uh, hermit, human, earth human, but my, my phraseology is something else today. This was revealed by God in heaven. This is a gift of grace. And the same is true with anyone you will ever share Jesus with. If they're going to understand and awaken, it is because God is awakening them. In, in 1 Corinthians, very, I mean, some of you have heard this, if not all of you, but this is such a powerful uh, scripture. As it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God given to us by God. 
For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God. Listen to this line. No one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. How are we going to know these things that have been given to us? Chief thing, Jesus. How are we going to know these things? except for the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that actually reveals these things to us. Beware that dangerous David guy awakening to the invite to the cave. One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite uh, enunciations of this, for me personally. Whether or not it works for you, I'm not sure. We'll find out. But if you go back to ancient Israel, and you have the first king of Israel, which is very symbolic. First and seconds I've been going through. And first king of Israel is Saul. The second one is David. God, in, in, the, in the order of his revelation, in his scripture, always shows that the first one cannot please him and is rejected. Because it's symbolic of something. It's symbolic of the earthy first, or Adam, and, the, and that condition that we find ourselves in, in the flesh, in sin. And it cannot please God. No matter what you do in this body, in Adam, it cannot please God. However, when we repent of our life in Adam and we clothe ourselves by faith in Christ Jesus, it's the second man, Jesus, that pleases. And so what we see is the first king of Israel, Saul, is like that. He can't please God. So he's rejected. He, re- he disobeys God. He's rejected by God. But the second man, David, does please God. All right. So we have this tension that is created, which is very similar to the tension we live in today. And that is... David is anointed king. He's the rightful king of Israel, but Saul will not give up his throne. And so Saul remains on his throne, and so you have this renegade king, this guy who's the rightful king, but is now being hunted by Saul. And so we don't know exactly how long this was, but some, you know, the estimates are around 10 to 11 years. And I don't remember what it was, like 21 assassination attempts uh, from Saul on David. Just like this poor guy was really uh, having a tough go. But so there's, you could just almost imagine the wanted posters around town uh, in Israel. It's like wanted, crazy man David. And, And you see, this David was probably painted up as an absolute lunatic, a crazy guy, a, a revolutionary that was just bringing disorder and, you know, and trying to disrupt the normal flow of life for everyone in Israel. So he was, I'm sure, painted up as the bad guy. If, you, if, Mar, if Saul is in charge of all the marketing for Israel, you, you have a hunch that uh, David was not uh, painted up as the most uh, sane character. And so, and David, rumor has it, he lives in a cave. And so... Uh, he's probably like an animal. He, he's, he's very uh, unclean and, and, and disgusting. And so all of these rumors probably have passed through, through Israel. And poor David just has to grin and bear it, right? He, li- he does live in a cave. Did you guys know that, that David spent most of his life in those 10 to 11 years living in a cave? It's actually a cave called the Cave of Adullam. Uh, so it even has a name. Uh, but imagine you're just an everyday person in Israel, and who do you work for? Oh, well, you work for Saul. And he's been a good, uh, good manager uh, of your life, a good uh, leader. And, you know, for all practical purposes, you have what you need. You have a little uh, cottage. Uh, you have a, a nice bed with a soft uh, pillow. Uh, you have a, a little coffee table there, maybe a little uh, sitting chair and then a, a dresser uh, and maybe a mirror behind it. You got some some things there, some memories in here. It's really nice. You got some shuttered windows I mean, it's not a lot of space, maybe a 12 by 12 uh, hut, but 
hey, you know, you live pretty nicely, and you've never had a reason to complain until now. Something has been going on in your life. It's the same thing that happens in every unbeliever out there that the Spirit of God is, is working on. Something is disrupted in your life. And I don't, it comes in small little bursts. But you came and approached Saul on something, and, and you saw sort of some true colors come out of him, like he blew his, his top and he yelled at you. And you sort of left going, what was that? That was strange. And a few things like that have happened. He cut your pay a little, and, and you've had some... It's just some run-ins that uh, were disturbing. And, uh, you know, it's hard to explain, and you don't really want to voice it because he's your king. He's your rightful king, right? And you're not about to question that. You don't want to betray him. And yet there's some thoughts that have just sort of been percolating in your head like, I don't know about this. But you've heard about David, right? And every time even the term David comes up, you get a little disgusted. Oh, that guy. And... Yet you heard a rumor the other day, someone said to you, you just overheard it, that actually all these things I heard about David aren't true. He's actually a, a pretty amazing guy. And you heard it, but you, you don't want to process it because that, that could be rebellion in and of itself. And so, but you notched it in your head. So Saul, the guy that's supposedly so good, hasn't been proving too good. And David, the guy who's so bad, you overheard a rumor that he wasn't that bad. And so you're in this difficult state of life now comes the big moment in your life. There's this huge announcement. People are running through the town saying, batten down your windows, close your shutters. He's coming, he's coming. You don't want the, uh, the insidious disease of David to get on you. And so everyone is commanded in the town to batten down their, their windows and close their shutters. Why? Because supposedly David and his men are coming through and they're carrying a disease. And so you close your windows because you're, you know, you're a good Israelite and you're going to do what you're supposed to do. And you don't want the disease. However, you're extremely intrigued and you'd sort of like to take a peek. Have you ever had that? It's like you'd like to at least take a peek. And you hear this sound of singing. And it's approaching closer and closer. And it, these guys sound happy. You haven't been happy since you can remember. And these guys sound like they're shouting for joy. Sounds like music out there and that they're having a great time. And you're so intrigued. And then you hear this, this deep baritone voice that is leading the way and it is singing. It's just like glorious. It's powerful. It's manly. And so you can't help yourself. You peek through the shutters. And right when you do, who do you see? You even know who it is immediately because you've seen the wanted posters. It's David. And here's what happens. It's one of the weirdest moments of your life. But you like peer through the shutters and he's singing. He's doing his little Jewish dance thing. I don't know how they do it. He's doing his Jewish dance thing and he turns right when you open the shutters and looks at you, stops in the road, winks and smiles. And you immediately close the shutters. Like, oh, I didn't see that. Okay, because this is like rebellion in the, this is like Benedict Arnold type of stuff in Israel. I mean, you have peaked. You actually looked on the thing you weren't supposed to look at. I mean, Saul has prohibited you from doing that. And what did you just do? You looked. Now, what was weird is you can't get it out of your head. You saw a wink and a smile. It's like he knew you were looking at him. How did that happen? And so you hear them continue down the street. You're, you're in a, a difficult situation. Why? Because you're confused. 
Because everything you've been told your entire life to beware of David, to stay away from David, he just seems like a good guy all of a sudden. He didn't seem as evil as everything you'd been told. Now, here's the extra weird spot in the story. You look over at your dresser. Remember that one dresser you have over here? And there's a letter on it. How'd that get there? But it's sitting right there. There's a letter there. How did that get there? I can't explain how God works in our life and how he gets into our life and how he gets this letter in there. But somehow there's a letter there and you even know exactly who it's from. It has a seal on the outside. It's like a lion. It's David's seal. And you know to even touch it is betrayal of Saul because you know exactly what it is. How did it get in here? How did it get on my dresser? How did God awaken you? You know that you live in hostile territory and the devil has like noise-canceling earphones over your ears spiritually. He has blinders over your eyes so that you cannot see anything spiritually, you cannot hear anything spiritually, you have blinders, you have shutters, everything closes you off to the truth and yet somehow you've been awakened. How does this work? It wasn't because someone like Eric Ludy preached. It was because the Holy Spirit went after you. The fact that he can use someone like me or someone like you as a part of the process is amazing. But it's actually his working. There's a letter. What are you gonna do? Isn't this an awkward moment in each of our lives? It's like Saul has prohibited you from even looking at David, let alone conversing with him and reading a letter from him. If you open that letter, it could be your end of relationship with Saul. And he takes care of you. He's the one that gave you this little 12 by 12 hut. He's the one that gave you that, uh, that nice cozy bed and that couch and that coffee table and that dresser. Oh, and that mirror behind it. Oh, what are you going to do? You know what you're going to do. You see, the Spirit of God is working in you, and you can't, you can't stop. You have, you're after something. Suddenly you have a hunger for a life that you've never known. I want to know what causes him to sing like that. I want to know what causes him to have so much joy. I want to know what makes that man work. This is weird. Up to this, you know, this point in your life, you didn't care at all about David. You never thought that your 12 by 12 hut was a bad thing, but now suddenly you feel confined. Like someone's lying to me. There's more out there. So you open it. It has your name on it. And it's like he knows you. He says... I would love to invite you to come to my cave and to live with me where I am. I desire you to be. Would you please leave your 12 by 12 hut and leave everything behind and leave your service of Saul behind and trust me as your rightful king? Would you give up your life as you now know it so that I could be your leader with much love and affection? David. Oh, your heart is like exploding. You see, even the name David, you know where it comes from? It comes from the Hebrew word ahava, which means love. So you put a duh in front of it and a duh after and you get duh-ha-ha-vid. David. David. It's like a Sesame Street thing. David. He's the one who is loved, but he's also the one who loves and so the one who has invited you is love itself. And you've never had that. You've never seen it. You didn't even know it existed. You are so discontent now in your 12 by 12 hut 
and you recognize you've been lied to your entire life. All these shutters, they've kept you in the darkness. And you now are seeing light. It's going to cost you everything, though, guys. If you follow what this letter is saying, it's an invitation to live in a cave. You're going to have to give up your comfort. Give up your predictable. But can you help yourself? I mean, the Spirit of God is calling you. God himself, the King of kings, has beckoned you out of this misery of darkness into the glorious light. Yeah, Saul will turn against you. Yeah, and all the armies of Israel will actually draw their weapons against you because you're siding with him. And yet, welcome to Christianity. This is how it works, guys. How were you awakened? You were awakened by David himself, by Jesus In Luke 10, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is is except the Son. And and the one to whom the Son wills wills to reveal him. Boy, I'm really having a tough time with my speech today and my reading. I'm going to read this again because this is a great scripture, and I just, like, totally butchered it. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So who knows the Father? Well, the Son does. And who else? And everyone, that's right, and everyone else that the Son, Jesus, chooses to reveal him to. So guess what? That's us. God has said, hey, I want you. Isn't that an amazing thought? Now here's a key moment in your soul. If you desire Jesus, what does that mean? That means he already desires you. The surest sign that God wants you is that you want him. Because did you know that you couldn't want him without him wanting you? He's the one that wanted you. That's why you're being stirred. That's why you're being awakened. That's why you're discontenting your little 12 by 12 hovel. That's why your bed is no longer comfortable to you. You want a different sort of comfort. You're after something greater. How did you know about that something greater? Why would you choose a cave over a nice cozy hut under Saul's control? Because the cave is where he is. And you'd gladly live in a cave with a rock for a pillow to be with him. Why are you so excited about being in a cave with your king? Because you've seen your king. How did you see him? That's sort of hard to explain. How did you behold his beauty? Why do you know that Jesus is so wonderful? Who told you? Well, you could say, well, my parents told me. Yeah, that could be true. But the Holy Spirit is telling you. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. God has come to give us understanding of this. Remember yesterday, uh, Nathan waxed eloquent about Erev and Boker? Uh, You guys would have had to be here for it, but he was talking about, he was going through his Bible survey. It was a really powerful lesson on Erev, which means evening, and Boker, which means morning. And Erev, as he was describing yesterday, is like the loss of clarity. So as evening is coming, darkness is sort of overcoming, and chaos is beginning to reign. It's bringing you into darkness. And so Erev is like a loss 
of clarity. And that's evening. And then boker is the bringing forth of clarity out of darkness. And so I was telling Nathan yesterday that the words are sort of mixed up poetically as far as how they sound. Erev, which is sort of more on the negative side, evening, it's like coming into darkness, losing clarity, is like a beautiful word, Erev. I mean, you could even name your daughter Erev and it would be really nice. And I'm not going to say you shouldn't because it is a beautiful term and evening is a really nice word, right? You think of sunsets and things like that, that's, that's wonderful. But Boker is one of the ugliest words I've ever heard. Boker. It just doesn't sound nice, right? So I was talking to him about it. So I, I spelled it according to like the Hebrew transliteration, which has a Q in it, which adds a little more of the French type of feel to it, like Boker. I, I don't speak French, but that sort of sounded French, didn't it? Uh, Boker. And I, I don't know if French roll their R's, but I was rolling my R's. So I'm mixing a little Spanish with my French. I don't know French, so I, don't, I, I do know some Spanish. So Boker. You guys like that? Or this was another option, bouquet. Isn't that nice? Because like a bouquet of flowers. So that's what we're talking about today, that we're talking about mourning. We're talking about the light that bursts forth. This is a work of grace. This is what Jesus is. He's the one that spoke light. He's the one that came up with this idea of being the morning that breaks the darkness. That there is darkness in your life, and then suddenly, whoa, the sun rises. The sun rises and you see for the first time. You're in darkness. I don't want to remain here. Morning. Bouquet. See, that's our new way of saying it. If you ever study, it's called etymology of the history of words. This is how words change right here. Someone like Eric Ludy comes in and goes, Boker stinks. We're going to call it bouquet, okay? And then everyone from, you know, 100 years from now, like, how did it become? It sounded like it used to be boker. And then it became bouquet. And then in the, in the little small print, it says a guy named Eric Ludy actually one day said, I don't like it that way, and started pronouncing it bouquet, and then everyone else did. So that's what's happening right now. We're going to call it bouquet. The old servant, Genesis 24. So if any of you have ever heard my message, the old servant, oh, it's just so profound on the Holy Spirit. It is beautiful. So what we have, remember what we're going through. We're walking through the gospel toolkit. The first thing that is needed to be exercised in the soul, even though you can't exercise it yourself, is that you must see your need. You must recognize that you're a sinner and that you have need of a rescuer. But the second one is you must see your rescuer as Jesus Christ. It doesn't help you to see your need and not see Jesus Christ. You must not just see your need, but you must see the answer in the person of Jesus Christ. So in this picture of how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work, in Genesis 24, we see an amazing picture of the Father, Abraham, the Son, Isaac, and the Holy Spirit, the old servant. You know that his name is never given in this whole story? In fact, if, if, if I were to tell you the story, you go, yeah, is there a guy, another character in it? Yeah, it actually, he's the main guy in the whole story, but you forget that he exists because most people would call this the love story of Isaac and Rebecca. But there's actually another character in it that has more time on stage in the story than any other character, yet we don't even know his name, which is very similar to the Holy Spirit. Jesus was here for 33 years, if you want to say it that way. Holy Spirit's been here for 2,000, and yet his entire goal is to bring us to our bridegroom. The whole goal is to make it about Isaac. That's the Holy Spirit's entire job, is to show you your Savior is to show you Isaac. And yet, he's down here the whole time working. And so it's important for us to understand that the working of the Holy Spirit is critical in the growth and the development of the believer. First 
for you to even see your need, and then for you to see your Savior, who needs to be working? Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit. So if I was going to give you a scripture reference, I have to give you the entire chapter of Genesis 24, because it is. It's the entire chapter. Great story. Now I'm going to, you're going to notice I chopped up the, the chapter quite a bit, and I'm just going to go goong, 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 and hit some key points. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, the old servant, who ruled over all that he had, which is an amazing statement. This guy had control over all that Abraham had, just like the Holy Spirit, has access to the entire inheritance of the kingdom and can bring it to us. You shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hands. So everything that's needed to bring that bride home, this old servant is given. He has command over it. And now he heads out to get the bride. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now we have dot, 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 and a lot happens right in there. This is the whole, uh, he's at the well at, uh, was it Lahoiroi? And no, it wasn't Lahoiroi, the well in uh, Nahor. And he runs into Rebecca, and she's carrying the jugs, feeds, uh, he, she feeds his camels, and that's like a signal. And so it's a good story, okay? I'm not going to go into that right now, but let it suffice to say that Rebecca says she's willing to leave all that she has to come with this old servant to go home and marry Isaac, who she has never met. I mean, pretty extraordinary. Why? Now, let me give you some insight into this. It's because the old servant is such a convincer. You know that in old-timey Christianity, instead of saying that the, that the Holy Spirit is the convictor of sins, it's that he is the convincer of sins. But he's not just the convincer of sins, he's the convincer of the beauty and the power and the majesty and the loveliness of Jesus Christ. How do you fall in love with Jesus? It's because the Holy Spirit introduces you. He convinces you in how wonderful he is. And that's what he's done to Rebecca. Rebecca is convinced that this is a better life, to leave everything that she has ever known and to follow this guy she just met, to go into a land she has never been. I mean, talk about risk. And she says, I will go. And she didn't even delay. She, they, the, the family said, hey, give her at least 10 days here. And the old servant's like, I need to go immediately. And so they said, well, Rebecca, what do you think? Yes, let's go. Well, who would do that? Well, it sounds like us as Christians, doesn't it? When we see it. Why would we delay 10 days before we said yes to Jesus? Yes, take my life. Let it be consecrated unto thee. So here we are in the story. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lehoroi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. So this is a multiple day journey. And so on camels, they're making their way. And I always picture the old servant and uh, Rebecca talking. What are they talking about? Isaac. T -t tell me, tell me more about him. I mean, just imagine, if you're, okay, I've never been a girl uh, in this situation. You know, I've never been a girl. So I, let me just say that. But I've, and of course, I've never been a girl in this situation. But I'm using my imagination because I've seen enough love stories. You know, where imagine this girl is, she's just about to run into the man she will spend the rest of her life with. Okay, so she's intrigued. Tell me more. So this entire journey, which is the journey we're on right now, being led of the Holy Spirit, and what is he teaching us about? Jesus. He's teaching us about our Isaac, the one we are being brought to. 
And so could you imagine the old servant saying, you know, this is the color hair, this is his stature. He has a fine-shaped jaw. And he has such a manly voice. And he is so gentle with the animals. And he will be so gentle with you. He will be an amazing husband. And could you imagine what's going on in Rebecca? Oh, <laughs> Uh, you know, that's what girls do, uh, right? And so there is a stirring. It's a wooing is what it's called. And so she is being awakened at a deep level, and she loves this man even before she's ever seen him with her eyes. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's us, guys. We've never seen Jesus face to face, and yet we feel like we have. How do we feel like we know him so well? It's because of the Holy Spirit. The old servant who we don't even know his name who melts into the background in this story, is revealing something. He's showing us, he's saying, oh, you'll love him. Wait till you see him. Oh, the day will be so grand. And so that's why this is such an exciting thing. So they, they change the, the, set, the, the camera angle and they show Isaac. Now Isaac's walking and he's meditating in the fields. And imagine what he's thinking. When are they gonna finally arrive? And so this is, this is a great moment. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there, oh, the camels were coming. Oh, guys, this is exciting. Then Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. Okay, you're starting to get into the, the, the romance dimension of this. For she had said to her servant, uh, who, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And it's like everything that the old servant described, like broad shoulders, Strong, barrel-chested, grizzled, uh, you know, sort of like that five o'clock shadow. He grows a beard very quickly. So even though he shaves in the morning, it probably is uh, like half grown in by the afternoon. Uh, and, I mean, he has a square jaw. He has uh, probably, what, what color hair would I have, dark? He probably has dark hair, right? I was going to say sandy blonde, but then I thought, why would I give a point for a sandy blonde person? So... And the servant, oh, wait a minute. Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, wink, it is my master. Oh, this is the moment, guys. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told, I mean, then it skips all the way to the end here. But, I mean, you just have to get into the moment there. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I'm gonna focus on one key line here. Remember what this one is called? This is called seeing your savior. You can see your need. You could be convicted of sin. You could know that you are evil. You could know that you need a rescuer, but that doesn't, know that you know, that doesn't mean you know Jesus. The key for us as believers and the key for us as gospel tears is not to just bring conviction to the masses. It's to bring Jesus to the masses. It's to show them not just their need in and through the giving of the law, but it's to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to see that there is one hope and one hope alone, and that is in the man, the person, Jesus Christ. Then Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. We're on a camel, whether it's of conviction of the Holy Spirit, God is bringing us somewhere. He's bringing us to a point. Every lost soul out there There is a working of the Holy Spirit. Some people reject it, and they refuse the working of the Holy Spirit, but there are those that are being worked on by the Holy Spirit that are being awakened and readied. And so we, in a sense, function in agreement with the old servant. 
We are the ones telling people about Isaac in agreement with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And this is what every soul must do. They need to lift their eyes and not just see their need. And when she saw Isaac, then, of course, there's an action from there, which we're going to get to. We're going to get to that as the next thing. In other words, if she stays on her camel, sees Isaac, and goes, I don't want him. Well, then we got problems. The love story isn't very lovely. But she does. She dismounts from her camel. Look unto me, says God, and be saved. Look up and behold your Isaac. Look up and behold your Savior. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Oh, isn't that exciting, guys? So, <clears throat> to properly wrap that up, I'm not sure that there's uh, any bow tie I can stick on it, other than no matter where you're at, whether you're a new believer or an old believer, I want you to cherish afresh the fact that it is not us that wins a soul, though we are called to participate in the winning. It is actually a work of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, when we are praying, we need to remember that as well. That we are praying to ask God the Father, in and through the work of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit would be working and laboring to win and to ready souls, and that we would be ready to bring in a harvest. We are participants in this grand epic adventure of winning souls, even though it is God that does the winning. It is God that does the wooing. It is God that does the convincing, and yet we participate in the process. So let's ask God to bring us in as participants afresh. Father, I pray that you would do exactly that, that we would be warmed afresh to the realities of how your grace works that we would be ready, Lord, to participate with the old servant in bringing home a bride for Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the grand privilege we have as Christians, that you could do this without us, but you have chosen to utilize us as your instruments. We love that fact. Lord, be with us today as we transition into a time of prayer and worship. I pray that you would lead that out of darkness you would bring forth that morning light and that we would see more clearly, each of us, no matter where we're at today, that you would bring a greater clarity to our understanding. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.